Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, I'm pretty excited this morning, and uh, I, I just think God's doing something. I don't think it's the three cups of coffee that I had. I really do believe uh, that there's something unique that's going to happen today, uh, or even to those who are going to listen to this message a little bit later. Uh, I, I want you to know that there's moments in time where God has like a divine encounter planned for individuals, and, and I just believe this is one of those moments uh, of a divine encounter. And I just want to tell you ahead of time that there's going to be some moments in this message and this talk that I'm giving here in which it's going to feel tense. And there's going to be just a sense of heaviness. And I want to tell you now ahead of time, just so that you can be aware that it's coming and it's not going to feel odd or unique. And it's not going to come, I hope, and I pray from some guy who's trying to make you feel bad or to feel something. My prayer is that it comes from God himself. I believe that God has made you and he has created you and he wants a relationship with you. He has made a heaven for you. And today is the moment that you grasp a hold of that. Uh, wherever you're at on the spectrum of faith, um, my, my desire is not to be seen or to make you feel guilty or to do anything. Really, my desire is to tell the truth. And wherever you're at on that spectrum, if you're watching this and you're an atheist, or maybe you're an agnostic and you say, well, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not a God, or you're here and, and you're backslidden, like you used to be close to God, but you're not close to him anymore. Uh, if, if you're on fire for the Lord, that's great. Let's turn that dial a bit in our lives and keep pursuing and moving closer and closer to the creator who made us. And so that's my desire. I want you to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I don't want to shrink back from that. I want to tell you the truth. How much would I have to hate somebody to believe that there's a hell and there's a heaven to gain and not tell them about it and how to get there? How much would a God have to dislike his creation, not to extend himself and say, here's how you can know me. So that's my desire today. Just realize it might get tense. I understand it. I get it. I'm praying that it does. We're talking about practical atheism. And what's a practical atheist? Well, a practical atheist is somebody who would say there is a God, but they're going to live as if he does not exist. I'm basing this off of a book written by Craig Groeschel called Christian Atheist. And our theme verse comes from Titus 1.16. Let me just read it to you. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. There are people who live like atheists, believing that there is a God. In fact, this is what God had to say to the generation in the time of Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah 29. This will be on the screen. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. So these people, they talk the God talk, Yet their hearts and their actions are far away from me. And I think that is how God looks at our current culture as well. There are people who can talk the God talk, slap a label on themselves called Christian, and yet not 
know him and have a relationship with him. They are practical atheists. And today we're going to talk about somebody who would say, I believe there's a God. I just don't want to take it too far. I don't want to go overboard in my faith. I don't want to be enthusiastic about God. I love the word enthusiasm. It comes from two Greek words. Enthusiasm, E-N in enthusiasm. The Greek word is dwelling in. And then the word enthusiasm comes from the root word theos, God. Enthusiasm, dwelling in God. If you're enthusiastic, you're going to be dwelling in God. You can't dwell in God and not be a little bit enthusiastic about the good news that he has redeemed somebody as depraved as your pastor here, and he has given life and hope abundantly through his son, Jesus Christ. Enthusiasm. But yet people want to shrink back. They don't want to, you know, state the name of Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but in our culture, it's still okay for now to say, you believe in God. You know, win an award, step up there. Thank you, God. We won the game. Thank you, God. You introduced the name of Jesus. You are fired. I mean, it happened a couple of weeks ago to somebody. Use the name of Jesus. You're gone. It doesn't fit the political correct narrative that we're trying to push right now. You're fired. So people will try to blend in, look like the rest of culture. They're ashamed of God in heaven. They wear the label Christian. They are practical atheists. They don't have a relationship with him. They they don't want to, you know, be, you know, hard or harsh towards others or judgmental. And so they will shrink back. They would say, I don't want to be a fanatical, radical, enthusiastic, born again, Jesus freak. So I'm just going to keep all this to myself and pretend. Today we're in the book of Revelation. We're going to go to the back of your Bible, all the way to the back, the very last book, Revelation chapter 3. And I want us to take a look at a church who would put a label above their door that they are Christians, and yet they were far from God. This church is one of seven mentioned in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2 through 3, seven churches are mentioned. This is the seventh church. All the other churches, there was some kind of like word of encouragement for them, but this church, no word of encouragement. He just lays it out there for him. This is the church of Laodicea. And the city of Laodicea was a very, very wealthy city. In fact, 35 years before John wrote the book of Revelation inspired by God, 35 years before that, Laodicea experienced a great big earthquake and it like decimated the city. This was in the time of Nero. And the Roman government said, we'll give you some money to help you rebuild Laodicea. And they said, no thanks, we're wealthy enough, we're gonna do it ourselves. And so they rebuilt all by themselves without government help. Now, the way that they got their money, they were right along a trade route. There would be nations all over the world coming through Laodicea. And so they've got all this money and trade that's happening there. So much so they had their own banking system. There'd be lots of gold changing hands. This city was known for a special type of wool. It was a dark wool. Everybody wanted that particular kind of thread, that particular kind of garment. So they were just making tons of money. They were known for their medicinal eye salve that they would make. There would be people that would go to them in order to get this eye Sav. So they got tons of money, beautiful city. There were theaters and stadiums, and like the hub of activity would be the Agora. The Agora is the shopping center. There'd be all these little stoas, they're called stores, stoas, and the stoa would be the place where they got all these little shops. You can just imagine the Agora was the place where all the philosophers are coming and they're debating, and the politicians are there debating, and kids are running around. It's a beautiful city. They're still excavating it. It looks fantastic. They were rich. This is what Jesus has to say to them. 
And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, and faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Jesus says, I I know your deeds. We're not talking about what you say you believe. We are talking about your visible actions. We are talking about your works, your deeds, your outward life. And he says, I know that you would claim to know me. You've got a little title above your church there saying that you're Christian, but I know your hearts, you are far from me. You're not hot, you're not cold. In the city of Laodicea, as wealthy as it was, their Achilles heel was their water. They didn't have fresh water close by. And so in order to get water for the city, they had to bring it in, and they brought it in from two different cities. And I'm not making this up. You can go there now, and you can see the aqueducts in which they brought water in from two different cities. One city was Hierapolis, and Hierapolis had hot water springs. They had hot springs, and so they would bring that water from the hot spring into Laodicea. But as it traveled all of those miles, the water became lukewarm. It was no longer hot. The other water came from a city called Colossae. Colossae is, is the Colossians that you read in the Bible. Colossae had cold water. And so by the time that it moved from Colossae to Laodicea, that water was lukewarm as well. Verse 16. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now that word spit comes from the Greek word emeo. Emeo. Emeo just, it literally means to, you know, to, to vomit, to expel, to spew, to have total separation. Uh, we would say puke. In the 80s, we said Ralph, right? So there, this is, you make me want to Ralph, right? You guys, you are living as though I don't exist. I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish spiritually you were on fire for me. I wish you were not lukewarm and in the middle. I can almost imagine God saying to our world, our culture today, and many of our churches, I know what I've done for you. I know how I've sent my son, Jesus Christ, for you. And yet you don't accept what I have and you just want to wear a label. Your heart is far from me. You've got some words that don't match what's happening in your heart and in your life. You think that you can satisfy me, a holy God, simply by going to a building once a month, twice a month, You think that you can satisfy me, O holy God, just by saying that you believe that there is a God who exists? You think that you can satisfy me by praying a little prayer and think that that little prayer will then give you covering and you will be just fine while you live apart from me? These people, he says, you're lukewarm. Lukewarm Christians. You've heard that phrase before, I'm sure. Now, lukewarm Christian, I I think that's an oxymoron. And you know what oxymorons are. That's where you've got two words that are opposite and kind of put them together. I looked up some oxymorons on, online. A uh, common one that comes to, to mind is jumbo shrimp. You've heard that one before, oxymoron. Uh, this one I hadn't thought of, act naturally. Farewell reception. Awfully good. Civil war. Exact estimate. I like this one, government organization. (laughs) And this one, Microsoft works. No, it doesn't. Lukewarm Christian. To see Christ as someone who bled and died and rose again to give us life and yet to live our lives as if God does not even exist. It makes God want to puke. And so what would it be like 
to be a lukewarm, practical atheist. Well, I've made a list of some of those things so that we can kind of evaluate our own lives to, to gauge the temperature of our life. Are we hot or cold? Are we lukewarm toward the things of God? Well, here's a lukewarm, practical atheist. They crave acceptance from people more than they crave acceptance from God. They're more interested in getting love and affection from others and the world around them than they are of pleasing God. They're willing to conform to the image of this world and not conform to the image of Christ. They're very worried about being popular, making sure that they're trendy, making sure that they are politically correct. This would be the person who wants to be woke and not awake to the truth of Scripture. Pleasing others, pleasing the world around us. Lukewarm Christian rarely, rarely share their faith in Christ. Because bottom line, they really don't believe that Jesus is necessary for salvation. You can get there however you want. You can do it your way, right? So we're gonna, it it, it just involves some syncretism, which means we're gonna amalgamate all these other religions or philosophies or ideas and whatever you think might work, well, that will work for you. If you think you just need to be good enough, maybe like 51% good and 49% bad, okay, that's fine. You're gonna mix in a little bit of new age in in your life or even Satanism or you're gonna be a Buddhist and a Christian. You're gonna do all these different things and that's fine because I would hate to tell somebody that there is only one way to the Father and I don't wanna be judgmental. That would be the worst sin on the face of the planet. I've got to be loving, so I must accept everything. So everything is now relativistic. There is no right. There is no wrong. And we begin to push away from what Jesus Christ has said. So we don't mention the name of Jesus. And we ignore the fact that Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. You never wanted to proclaim my name on earth. You're going to get to heaven. You're going to stand before the judgment seat and you're going to look at me. You're going to say, we're good, right, bro? And Jesus will say, you didn't know me then. You pretended then. Let's not pretend now. The atheist who is practical, the lukewarm Christian will do whatever it takes to alleviate their guilt. Kind of an art form. If you do something that's wrong and you feel guilty for it, you realize, oh man, I better get back to church. Or I I better pray a quick prayer. Or maybe you've made it some form of religion where you got to just make yourself feel beat up and guilty. You feel beat up and guilty long enough. You do that long enough. Now it's kind of expunged and you can go back and do the same thing that you did before. Feel guilty again. Go through the same routine. Man, I'm really bad. Really bad. I feel bad about myself. Do that long enough. I think I'm good now and I've been a good boy or good girl. I'll go right back to the same sin. It's an art form. I just need to alleviate that guilt on the inside. The lukewarm Christian The practical atheist begins to think more about life here on earth than life in heaven. It's all all about what's around us. It's our things and everything that blings. I'm going to think about my house. I'm getting a bigger house. I'm going to think about my home and my yard and my job and my bank account and my 401k and never really think about eternity after this very short life. A lukewarm Christian judges and gauges their morality against other people. They begin to look at others and they say, you know what? I'm a lot better than others. Like I I think God's perhaps grading on this uh, bell-shaped curve and not over here where it's really, really bad. I'm somewhere in the middle, not as bad as others. I'm not as great as some. Surely God's gonna take you know all of us kind of in the middle and not the bad ones. So I'm gonna be just fine. This is the person who looks at others, judges them. It's like the Pharisee who goes to the synagogue and starts praying to God. God, I thank you that I'm not like this loser sinner over here and I'm better than them. 
rather than judging ourselves against God who says he is holy and judging ourselves against the standard, which is his son, Jesus Christ. The lukewarm, practical atheists, they want to be saved from the guilt and penalty of sin without changing their ways. They're good with salvation. Save me, Jesus. I'll pray a prayer. You want me to get in water and get baptized? All right, I'll do, I'll do whatever. Just save me from the penalty of sin. I want enough of Jesus to keep me out of hell, but I don't want so much of him that I'm going to look like him. Just give me my fire insurance. Let me slip on into heaven and live the way I want to live. The lukewarm practical atheist only turns to God when they're in a bind. God becomes this tool in the toolbox. And all of a sudden, you lose your job, the marriage goes south, the economy's not looking like it needs to. Man, God has your attention now. And you pray, 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 pray. The lukewarm practical atheist gives when it does not hinder their standard of living. We can't let God get in the way of what we want to do. I need a bigger house, I need a nicer car, I want better vacations. The word sacrifice is not in the vocabulary of a lukewarm practical atheist. Lukewarm, practical atheists really aren't that much different than the rest of the world. They dress the same. They look the same. They talk the same. They cuss the same. They're entertained by the same kinds of things as the world. They educate their kids the same as the world. They have the same morals as the rest of the world. You hold up a lukewarm, practical atheist next to somebody who doesn't even attend church. Their lives are the same. Divorce the same. Abort the same. Lukewarm. The lukewarm practical atheist wants the benefit of what Christ did without conforming to his image. Give me all the good stuff, God. I'll take your blessings. Thank you. I'll take prosperity. I'll take healing. But I don't want to surrender my life and make you Lord. And I look at my own life and I see too much practical atheism. I see moments in my life where I want to please other people. And I'm worried about my image and how I look and how I'm perceived. I think about the amount of time that I spend looking at things of this world compared to things of heaven. How my gaze just kind of like my job, my family, my health, and I think very little about heaven. I don't know what the percentage would be, but I would be embarrassed to say it out loud, the percentage of time that I just kind of think about me and what I've got around me rather than God and his kingdom. I look at my life and I just realize there are times in my life that I look at others and I compare myself to them. And I'm like that self-righteous Pharisee. I'm glad I'm not like them. It's lukewarm. You see, I, I, I can't be. I fight the same drift that you do in your heart. And I can't be a full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Christ. And maybe somewhere along the line, You've become a full-time mom and a part-time follower of Christ. You didn't mean to. It's just things are, your kids, they take a lot of time. I mean, right now they're home more, you're home more. There's more energy. You didn't mean for it to happen, but somewhere along the line, your heart started to drift and you got colder and colder to the things of God. Maybe you're a full-time business person and a part-time follower of Christ. 
And it's difficult now, right? I mean, you've got to put so much energy because everything's kind of shifting and changing the way that you do work and you're worried about your income, how we're going to make ends meet, how we're going to take care of the other employees. And again, all of the energy, all of the time being poured outside on something else. Maybe you're a full-time student and a part-time follower of Christ. Again, it's that pressure, like I got to work, I got to get the grades so that I can get the scholarship, so that I can get in the right school, so that I can get the right job. Got to work and push because I would hate to let mom and dad down. You get into college, you get into college, and there's just this like pressure from the rest of others to to blend in, to look like the uh, you know the rest of your friends at campus, not to proclaim the name of Jesus. You get into your classes, you're hearing these professors talk badly about Christians and Christianity and faith and God and His Word, and you begin to shrink back. I look at the Church of Laodicea and I think of us. I think about our shopping centers, our theaters, our stadiums, our politics. And I think about the culture that we're in. And it's so easy to slap the label Christian on ourselves without actually having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's easy to drift and to become lukewarm. But it's not that way all around the world. There are places in this world right now that are white, hot, on fire for Jesus. You want to know where that is? You go to a culture where you claim the name of Jesus Christ and they'll kill you. In those places, they are praying and praying hard. They will do anything to get God's word into their hands. They will risk their lives so they can have the pages of scripture to know the mind of God. And they read it and they're like, well, I guess we need to live this way. They sacrifice, they give, they are transformed because it's not something that they can easily step into. They truly believe. We can be white, hot, on fire for God, but in our culture, it is just so easy to look the part to play the game, to blend in. And the saddest thing is that some of you don't care. You don't care. Apathy is the epitome of lukewarm. We can talk about all of these things that are happening and the distance between ourselves and our creator, the one who loved us, sacrificed his son for us, and we don't care. We're interested in playing the game. Like, I'm good. I'm good. As long as I got money in the bank, as long as the economy's okay, as long as I have my health, as long as I'm comfortable, I'm good. And so God says to that in verse 17, for you say I'm rich. I've prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked, Is there such a thing as a lukewarm Christian? I mean, really, can those words go together? I don't know. But does that sound like Jesus is talking to spirit-filled Christians? Wretched? Pitiable? Poor? Naked? Blind? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, and I'm still blind. Wretched, blind, Christian? It's the lukewarm, practical, atheist. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. So he drops the boom 
And he says, you think you've got it together. You have been lukewarm. You don't have a relationship with me. Then he says this. He says this to bankers in the city exchanging gold. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. He's not talking about literal gold. He's talking about the purity that comes from only him so that you may be rich. To those who, in that culture, in that Laodicea town, who are selling those, that dark wool to others, he says, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And to those who are selling the eye salve, medicinally, he says, and salve, to anoint your eyes, that you may see. Again, not physically see, but begin to spiritually see that there is a creator in the heaven who has made you, who loves you, who has moved in your direction, and out of his great grace has given you the opportunity to know his son, Jesus Christ, who would place faith on the inside of you so that you might then be justified and walk with him, allowing him to regenerate and make you more and more like your heavenly father. And so then he says this. After he drops the boom on them, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So for anybody in the house today, who's feeling a bit of conviction and weight in your life right now, like I think pastors talking to me, don't swallow hard, don't blink, don't look to the side, something's happening in this moment, know that that conviction has been given to you by a loving heavenly father so that you would not be lukewarm, so that you would not be apathetic, so that you would know that there is a God to who day extending grace to you so you might have salvation, true faith, salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. So if you feel a bit of conviction like I do, that's a good thing. It means the spirit of God has been given to you. Don't feel, don't feel as if God does not love you. If right now you feel like, man, I think pastor's reading my mail. Pastor, there's something going on. That is the spirit of God trying to gain your attention for a divine encounter today so that you will know his son and not just simply give lip service to him, but have everlasting life. Repent. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He says, I'll come in. I'm not in yet. I mean, you might know who's at the door, knocking at the door. Yep, that's Jesus. Heard of him. Understand, he died on the cross. I've heard he rose from the grave. I I understand that's Jesus. I just haven't let him in yet. I don't have a relationship with him personally. I understand he offers salvation, but I also understand when I let him in, I'm not going to be lukewarm. He is going to have complete and total reign of this home. Jesus, please come in. This whole house, yours. That closet where I've been hiding that thing and I keep feeling guilty about, if you would just open that up, please, and then just kick Satan in the backside and get him out of here. I'd really appreciate that. God, everything I have is yours. I submit to you. I want a personal relationship with you. I want to know you, the living God. Jesus, I'm yours. He stands at the door, ready to come in to the heart that is lukewarm, pretending we've been given this day. Today is the day of salvation. I have no idea How many more days are left in front of us? You look at 2020, you got to say the same thing. How much longer? And even if we make it past this year, how much longer do I get oxygen in these lungs? Today 
is the day of salvation to stop pretending and to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You cannot be a follower of Christ and remain half-hearted. We're not here to make half-hearted followers. We're here to make wholehearted followers. Now watch this. He says, verse 21, to the one who conquers. He speaks this to Laodicea, to people who are in the middle of, I think I'm just going to work hard and I've got enough money and I've got my wealth and I can trust in that. He speaks into this church in which there's probably a lot of people who are wishy-washy about, well, if you want Christ, that's fine. If you don't want Christ, that's fine. To that person who overcomes and conquers that culture, to that person who overcomes that push on their heart just to simply say that I'm a Christian but not really be a Christian, to that conqueror, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, thank you, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. That's what's in front of us. Lads ready to applaud. Go for it, man. This is who we are to see. We see him in his rightful position in this creation and in our lives. This is the one that we know who's, he's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the beginning, he's the end, he's the first, he's the last. He says, I am the true vine, I'm the gate, I'm the door, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm the bread of life, I'm the good shepherd. This is the one, when he's riding into Jerusalem, before he's to be crucified, he's on the back of a donkey, humbly riding down that hill to make his way to the cross and die. Humbly, submissively, rose again three days later. He's in heaven now, and he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's not riding humbly on the back of a donkey. Revelation 19 says he comes back on a white horse ready for war. Who's he going to battle? All the lukewarm Satan and his enemies, those who have aligned themselves apart from God. It tells us there is fire in the eyes of Jesus Christ. On his head are diadem. And he comes to make war, dropping the wrath of God. He's wearing a robe. And that robe is dipped in blood. And on that robe and on his thigh are the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. It says he has a sword in his mouth which to judge the nations. He is the lion and he is the lamb. He is in his rightful position. And for you and for me on this day, living in an age and time of the grace of God and his mercy, not yet to pour out his wrath, giving us this day of salvation so that you might hear, understand, Repent of your wicked ways. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. You can experience salvation. He is the one who bled and suffered and died for your sin on a cross, rose from the grave to give you eternal life. And when you know him, you cannot be a lukewarm, practical atheist. He is extending himself to you today. This is the one filled with all the wrath yet to come who moves in your direction, friend, grabs a hold of your face, looks in your eyes and says, I have redeemed you.
I love you. Will you love me? Let's pray. Father, for any heart that has come to this place of conviction and understanding that they are away from you, that they have been lukewarm, that they have been pretending today, this day, I pray, Lord, through just this divine moment that you have created, that they will understand you came for them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for taking everything I've ever done wrong in the past, in the present, in the future. All of those moments that I grow lukewarm, all of those moments that my pride gets in the way and loving me still. Thank you for holding me secure, not by my goodness, not by my effort, not by my energy. Thank you for your righteousness that holds us secure. I pray for any heart today, Father, that comes to this place of realization. I ask that you would fill them. Lord, I pray that today the good news would really be good news. And it's, got, it's not good news until we understand how bad the news is that we are depraved and separated from you. And that is hard to hear for our prideful ears. But for the heart that has been longing to know you and you had a moment of time this day, this moment ordained for them, I thank you. <laughs> I pray, Lord, that you would bless them and encourage them in your spirit. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.